For those of you who are coming in late, <laughs> um, this today is Orphan Sunday. And um, we have been celebrating Orphan Sunday um, here at K2 um, since 2010. And I actually realized, um, I don't think I've ever shared the origin and where um, or the idea for Orphan Sunday came. So I just want to take a couple minutes and share that. It actually started um, back in 2003 in Zambia, um, tiny little country uh, in Africa. And there was... Um, an American who was visiting a church in a little community that day. And um, the pastor was just preaching, started preaching on um, just the passage talking about, don't worry what, you know, what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear, God, pro God provides. And then he started talking about the orphans that were in the community. And then they took up their normal offering. And then he said, now we're gonna take a sacrificial offering. And the American who was sitting in the back sat and he watched as mostly widows who were sitting in this little church came and brought things, came and gave out of their poverty. And the, the one lady he watched was this, he, he saw this lady come in and she had had a cabbage under her arm. She had probably bought it on the way there. And she took that, went up and took that cabbage and, and laid it at the altar for the orphans. And this American that was there, as he was flying home, could not get over what he had seen. And so he came back um, to his church in Virginia and he shared. And so they had the very first Orphan Sunday in 2003. Actually, two churches in Virginia celebrated in 2003. And now it's grown all across the world. We have a map um, of, this is just the US. So today, um, all these churches are doing something to bring recognition for children in need. And the West needs a lot of help, right? <laughs> the East is rocking it. But the cool thing, too, is as we could show a global map, there's actually um, services and events happening in 93 countries today or sometime during the month of November. So just know today that we are a part of this global Big C Church who are coming together to be a voice for the orphan. So we're so glad that you're here today. How many people, this is your first time you've ever been to an Orphan Sunday? Awesome, this is, we're just so glad that you're here today. Um, usually when I sit down to write the message for Orphan Sunday, it comes super easy. It just kind of flows out of me. And um, I'm gonna share with you and admit that this year, that did not happen. <laughs> I sat down and I just, I, I didn't feel it. And so last week I'm kind of panicking and I'm looking through some my, of my orphan care books. I was looking through a book that a friend of mine actually wrote. His name is Jason Johnson and he works in the orphan care adoption field. And so I'm just looking through his stuff. Um, and I ran across this quote. Um, he says, Jason says, the most inspiring messages spend less time telling us what to do and more time reminding us of who we are. I'm gonna say that again. The most inspiring messages spend less time telling us what to do and more time reminding us of who we are. And my natural inclination is to stand up here today and wanna to tell you what to do. I wanna tell you how to be involved. I wanna tell you about the statistics of all the kids, both locally and globally, that need to be cared for. And I just wanna throw out all the options. And yet God 
really led me back to this quote and said, no, I want you to spend more time reminding us of who we are. Because I've come to realize, I don't know how it is for you, but I've come to realize in all my years of following Jesus that the thing that I need reminding of the most and most often is who I am and whose I am. Anytime I'm, fe- I'm experiencing fear or anxiety or I'm stuck in a sin pattern, I realize that I've lost my focus on Jesus and of who I am. Um, and again, I was reminded, this kind of just driven home that yes, this is what you're supposed to speak on last Saturday, so not yesterday, but the, the Saturday before, um, I was watching a memorial service online of Eugene Peterson. Um, some of you might know who Eugene is. He um, was most best known as an author. Um, he wrote dozens of books. I don't even know how, but um, the one he's kind of most known for is he wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message. And so I was watching his service, and his son got up to speak, and he just gave this great eulogy about his dad. Um, and then at the very end, he kind of got this little smirk on his face, and he goes, you know, Oh, and this is the other thing, too. So most people know him as an author, but he was actually a pastor, too. And people don't know that. He pastored a church for about 30 years um, out, I think, in Maryland. And so his son, towards the end of his eulogy about his dad, um, said, he, like I said, he got this kind of smirk on his face, and he said, you know, my dad really only had one sermon. His whole entire life, he kind of had one sermon. And he said, it's this, that God loves you, He's on your side, he's coming after you, and he's relentless. God loves you, he's on your side, he's coming after you, and he is relentless. And so I wanna spend this year's Orphan Sunday um, sharing a little bit about the kind of love that causes God to pursue you and to be relentless in his actions towards you. because I, I feel like you can't really fully comprehend the depths of God's love for you until you know the kind of love that he has for you. I just think that's super important. And I'm actually just going to stop and pray really quick. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you so much for loving us beyond really what we can comprehend. Um, you're so good to us. Um, you're so kind and loving, full of grace. And we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. I pray for every single person that's here, God, no matter if they know you, they've known you for all their life, or they've never heard your name. God, I pray that you would move in their hearts um, today to just get one step closer to understanding a little bit more about your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to really quick, um, if you have your Bibles out, you can turn to Ephesians 1, uh, 4 and 5. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen. Um, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. Now, these two verses, I mean, it's just two verses, and I remember looking at them this week going, they are so full 
of just the absolute best news you've ever heard. Like we could sit here all day just reveling in what is contained in those two passages um, and what their implications are for our life. I've actually decided I think it's one of my favorite verses. Um, and in those two verses, I think we see two kinds of love that God has for us. Um, and I want to spend time looking at those two types of love. And the first one I'm not going to spend as much time on because I actually think it's the one we probably hear about the most. And so I'm going to camp out a little bit more um, on the second one. But the first kind of love I am calling, and this is just the Amy King interpretation, so I am calling it a love that rescues, a rescuing type of love. Look back at 4, verse 4. Um, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. First of all, um, the fact that he chose us, how amazing is that? That's just a whole message in and and of itself. Um, But what I just find super fascinating is that before God created a single molecule on this earth, before he created you and me, he was thinking about us. And he knew that he, we were going to be a sinful people. God is omniscient, which is just a big fancy word for just saying he's all-knowing. So time is not of God's, you know, he, he sees past, he sees present, he sees future. And so he knew even before he created us, we were going to be a sinful people. And that we were going to be, need to become holy and blameless. And so God, would, before he created us, was already at work undoing the effects of our sin. He had a plan to make us holy and blameless. And so we know that that plan was in sending his son, Jesus, or I'm sorry, God actually becoming man as a baby, Jesus, being born. Um, We're going to celebrate that in a couple months. Um, Actually, no, in a little over a month. That's scary. Um, Look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Jesus would come and he would live this absolutely perfect, sinless life. And then at age 33, he would go to the cross and he would take all of our sin, every single solitary thing that you and I have ever done, and he would take it on himself. And then he would say, it is finished. What is finished? What was accomplished? This need to make us holy and blameless. So now this God who judges because he's God and he's holy and he has to judge sin. He now looks at you and me and he says, I, don't, I see Jesus when I look at you. I don't see any of your sin that you've ever done. You are pure, you are holy, you are blameless in my sight. And you guys, we could close the Bible just at those verses and, and go, we are the luckiest people on the planet. Like that is the best news we could ever hear, thank you. See, if we were in the South, I would have gotten an amen before that. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he just looks at it and says, I don't hold you accountable for your sin. 
and that is the greatest news ever. But what if I told you that there's something even better? It's like when somebody gives you the best gift that you could ever want or has told you the best news ever, and then they go, but wait, there's more. And you're like, how could this day get any better? But it does, and it's through this second kind of love. Because God not only sits behind on his judge's bench, I know it's kind of a cheesy analogy, but he sits there and he throws his gavel down and says, you're not guilty. And again, he could go home right there, we could all be good to go. But he actually gets up and he comes around and he comes to you and he comes to me and he puts his arm around us. And he says, now I'm gonna make you my son. I'm gonna make you my daughter. I'm gonna adopt you into my family. You're gonna get to call me daddy. So the second kind of love, it's the love that makes us sons and daughters. Look back again um, at Galatians 4, 4 through 5. Um, Again, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption. So Paul, who wrote this book, is literally identifying adoption as the very reason that he came, so that he could redeem us first and then adopt us. See, being redeemed isn't the end work, it's the adoption that happened. And I think, um, you know, the Apostle John, Jesus had these 12 disciples that literally followed him all around for three years, and and John uh, was one of those guys. And um, I was just reading a little bit um, of 1 John, actually, this week, and it just, it's so correlated. Um, 1 John 3.1 says, See what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And I kind of like did my own interpretation of this verse or kind of thought about like when, when John was um, writing this verse or who he was sharing it with, I kind of felt it was like he was going, okay, you guys, listen, I followed this guy Jesus around for three years. I watched him perform miracles. I watched him heal people. I watched him forgive people. I watched him walk on water. I, I saw him raise somebody from the dead. But guess what? There's something even better. We get to be called children of God. I, th- I think, and I don't know, but I just think that that was blowing John's mind when he wrote that scripture. So we have these two kinds of love, this love that rescues and this love that makes us sons and daughters. And how do you know that you understand the depths of those two kinds of love? I think one of the ways is that when the love of God is in you, the love of God automatically starts to flow out of you. Um, In fact, John talks about it again just in a few verses down in verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life. So we've, our sins have been forgiven. We're no longer 
in this dead zone where now we've been brought to life, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone that does not love remains in death. And then we skip down a few more verses, 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, (laughs) dear sons and daughters, right? Let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. So we know that if we really, really get these two types of love, it's going to come out of us and flow into the people who are all around us. And today, on Orphan Sunday, those people in particular that we're looking at is love flowing out of us into the lives of vulnerable children. And we know we don't have to guess and wonder if God calls us to care for orphans and for kids who are vulnerable. There's a classic verse, anytime you're gonna probably listen to a sermon or a a message on caring for orphans, you're gonna hear this verse, so I guess I have to share it. Um, It's James 1.27, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. And so if somebody had just opened the Bible and read this one verse, they had never read anything else, they might go, well, why out of all the great things would God compare uh, true religion to? And actually, um, just a side note, that word religion actually means worship. So, James 127 is worship that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so if you had never read anything else in the Bible, you would go, okay, well, I guess we're going to just do that because it's a good thing. And then it just kind of becomes an act of social justice, I guess. But now in light of all of these other pieces of scripture that we've looked at, doesn't this all suddenly make sense of why God would say pure worship is to care for orphans, because that's what we were. Earlier I shared with you um, that my natural inclination is to stand up here and just share all the ways to be involved. And um, I'm, I'm gonna do that a little bit at the end, but I wanted to just take a little bit of time and share a story with you that I feel like just completely encompasses this love that Eugene talked about that's relentless and goes after you and the love that is always on your side. It's, it's just a, a perfect story um, of that love. And um, it's actually of some friends of mine. They don't, they don't live here. Um, they're actually in North Carolina. Um, but I felt like their story was so compelling, such a great example of this, that um, I flew down a few weeks ago and uh, interviewed them. Um, to share their story. So take a look at this, and as you're watching it, be thinking about that relentless love from God, the love that rescued you, and then the love that made you a son and a daughter. My birth family did some not so okay things. They didn't take care of us much, so I was mainly taking care of my brother and sister. The day that someone came to get me, I thought that 
I was a little nervous and scared, and I was like, you're not taking me away. And I didn't know if it, what to do, so I was just like waiting, and I was, about, I was just like stunned. My brother and sister came with me, but then we did get split up. All my life I felt like that I had to be with them, but I just was a little nervous and scared because I was there like, like Daddy Bear watching over them, and they got broke apart. I was in 10 different foster families. The foster families were like some basically weren't good to me because like they spanked me, some just put me in a corner. They weren't good to me also because they were like yelling at me and like did things that I don't even think I deserved, but going to home to home was pretty harsh. They were like, I felt like they were almost like kicking me out. When I left, I had a trash bag and put everything in too. Like I was basically garbage or trash being thrown away. Some were also good, some were happy, some were joyful, some I thought could have been forever, but there was, I knew one person would, I would become their son. A son means that, a family means that you're family forever no matter what. I grew up in outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and in high school was voted to be, most likely to be married by my sophomore year in college. And college came and went and I wasn't, and I saw my friends getting married in their 20s and I had dreamed of being married and having kids since I was probably 12. My 30s came and I wasn't married, and then when I had, when I had a, a girlfriend break up with me in my late 30s, I decided I was, I didn't want to wait until I was too old to play with a child to have one. And I'd always wanted to adopt and ask God if it was okay if I adopted alone. And the first few years I asked, I heard no, uh, that it wasn't time. And then when I was 41, I asked and I heard yes for the first time. I went to the foster care orientation class and loved it and got signed up for the next class starting in just a couple of weeks. When my license came in, there were emails that came of this child needs a home, this child needs a home, and there was nothing in the profiles that scared me, but none of them, none of them settled my heart. And then literally, I think it was maybe 10 or 11 days after I got my license, it was a Monday morning, and I got an email for a little boy that was eight. And there, was a, there were a lot of behaviors in the profile that I think would have scared a lot of new parents. But I had a complete peace that this boy that I was reading about on this Monday morning was supposed to be my child. So I responded to the, my social worker and she sent in my information and I was rejected and told that the last couple of placements that this boy had had been single dads and they just didn't want to try it for a third time. They didn't think it would work. And 
in my heart, I knew he was mine. And I asked my social worker, can I write them a letter? Can I ask for this child again? And she said, you know, my 20 something years, I've never heard of that, but I'll deliver it. So I typed up an email about my plans for his life and what I would do for him. And I sent it off and <laughs> the very next morning, they called and said, come in for an interview. And at the end of the interview, his social worker was crying and she looked at me, she said, no one's ever fought for this child in his entire life. And you're fighting for him without ever knowing him. So we're gonna give it a shot. From the day that I got the yes from God that I could go, it was nine months until my son arrived. I happened to be on the phone with my best friend when I saw the car pull up. <laughs> and this little boy, all dressed in red, popped out of the car and I saw him starting to run towards the house. And I said on the phone, he's here. I can't believe he's so little and so cute. And I swung the door open and he walked in with two social workers. And she said, you know, you two have something in common. You're both really good huggers. And I got down in front of him and I said, can I give you a hug? He picked me up and we like were seeing who can hug each other better. And he picked me up, swung me around and he hugged me so tight. And I'm like, you win. And we were seeing who could hug each other more. And then he said, no one's ever hugged me like that before. And I certainly knew at that moment he would never walk outside this house, that he was mine forever. So I remember that was the best moment of my life because I remember when he flung open the door. And it was a great moment of my life. I'll never forget. So that little boy that walked in and truly did just about everything we're warned in foster care could happen, happened to the incredible child that sits before us today. It's mind blowing. God restores, he redeems, and he rescues. My glory will shine on you. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 619. I see visions of who he's going to become. And he's a world changer. And all of these kids trapped in a system that they don't belong in and shouldn't even exist. Every one of them has the potential to change the world, but somebody's got to change their world first.
That's a tearjerker. You're crying. That was a, that's a yeah. tearjerker there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys um, so much for just being willing to share your story. Um, and then to, to come here. Boone flew for the very first time uh, to come here <laughs> on, on Wednesday, which was his 12th birthday. Mm-hmm. So he got, he got to sit in uh, the flight deck and, um, and, and was upgraded to first class. So that was, yeah. Wasn't a, it's not gonna be repeated very often. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> So thank you, Boone, You're welcome. for coming. Um, so tell me a little bit about this guy that's sitting next to you. Well, this guy's like the best dad in the world. Yeah. I couldn't have gotten anyone better. What do you, what do you love most? What do you, get, what, love, what do you love doing together? I love just cuddling on the couch, and I love also reading the Bible, and they just... There's just many different things. So I know you were in 10 different homes over three, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were moving from home to home, what were you thinking? I mean, it was painful. Like, it's just like they're kicking me out. Yeah. And you shared that you had a trash bag, and that's actually something that's common kind of Cross the board with kids who are in foster care. When they come to get you, they give you a trash bag and say you can take whatever um, you can fit in this trash bag. And just the symbolism of that is just has always broken my heart. Um, so what kept you going over uh, those three years in switching homes so many times? I mean, it's just like I knew one day something was going to happen. It was either me getting home or I don't know. Like, it was just, I, I had the faith that I would get a home. Yeah. Um, so Cecil, did um, you, you know, you'd say that you had always wanted to adopt, mm-hmm. but then when the moment comes when you're actually taking the classes and you get your license and you're like, okay, this is gonna be real, do you have, you know, and I'm just thinking about for people who kind of might be in that position right now, mm-hmm. what, were your, what were your fears? Because I'm sure you had some fears. Maybe I'm just stupid. <laughs> 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 I truly, it's like I felt like a 15 year old who was about to get my driver's license, and it was something I'd been looking forward to for years and just thought I was going to be awesome at it. So I truly, I don't think I had a lot of fears. Other than possibly, gosh, what are people going to think about me as a single dad? And will this child have enough to only have one parent? And I, I worried briefly, would I be enough? But God told me, you're, you're more than anything. Yeah. Um. So in the video that you shared that when you submitted your information, you were actually rejected. Right. But you wrote this letter. I did. Tell me about, this, tell me about the letter. Like, what, what did you say in it? What well, you- again, you know, I had, in those short days after getting my license, uh, the, unfortunately, the foster care system is so desperate that I was getting emails daily 
of, of kids. And I kind of, I had been teaching a, a high school Wednesday night class at my church. And so I had wanted a teenager because I thought I could handle a teenager better. And none of the kids that came, you know, through the email, nothing attached. And then when I got a profile for Boone, it just paragraph after paragraph, it listed so many foster placements labeling him with anger management issues and this problem and this problem and this problem and um, and it, it, at the very end it, there was a small paragraph that said he you know enjoys school he enjoys sports and he loves sharks <laughs> and yeah. I, again, I just, I just heard God say, this is not who he is. You know, he's, he's not these things. And this is not who he was created to be. And I just attached to him and asked them, you know, can I write this letter? And, and just she, like you said, you know, she said, it's not done before, but she would deliver it. And um, literally the very next day, you know, I was in their office. And they had, there were two of them, they played good cop, bad cop, you know, trying to, I think, make sure that it was gonna be the 11th placement that failed. Yeah. Um, and that was the day I got to see the first picture of him because I had not seen his picture before. And he just, he was just this little kid with really big blue eyes. Mm -hmm. I love the, the letter, that part of your story has always really hit me because it's the, um, it's the uh, relentless, the going after you know, that we talked about. So he went after Boone, and then he was told no. And then this relentlessness was in him to just go, nope, what? I'm, go I'm going back. Well, in, in the letter, you know, I, he had repeated a grade before, and they had planned for him to repeat another grade. And I had already contacted my local school and figured out a way for him not to have to repeat that grade and to get tutors. And, um, and I wrote in the letter that I would not allow him to grow up with labels. He would not grow up with all of these things people had been calling him in his entire life. And then I ended the letter to them and I said, I already have his shark sheets. And I had gone to a store and bought those sheets and they were on the bed because I knew it was mine. Yeah. So um, Boone, were you, when you came to your dad's house, were you ever scared that you were gonna have to leave? Yes, I was. I had that fear sometimes. And I know that you told me that um, you even asked a couple times for your for your your dad to call DCFS to come get you. Yes. Right. Why was that? Well, because we were going through some hard times, a lot about disobedience, and I was getting a lot of big consequences. So, and it's just hard that what, those moments. But it's like the beautiful and the brutal. So it's like the beautiful. <laughs> Boone, uh, he had not, in, in my opinion, no one had cared for him enough to give him structure and rules and consequences for his actions. And I'm very high discipline and high affection. And anytime I gave him a consequence, I made sure that we were touching, even if our feet were just touching so that he knew that he was loved. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of consequences in the beginning and I probably deserved a lot myself too because I was struggling <laughs> that first year to figure out what a good consequence was. And um, 
he, he, he shared with me that you know, he only asked to leave because he was angry because I was trying to help him. Yeah. And then, thankfully, when he looked at me very angrily and said, you know, give me the telephone. <laughs> you know, what's Latricia's number? You know, and I was like, you're not going anywhere. You're mine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what every one of these kids needs to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a picture I wanted to, to put up. If you go to the next one, tell me about this picture. When Moon uh, arrived on August the 6th, I introduced him to some friends slowly, you know, some, some of my dearest friends, my godchildren. And uh, I, was, I looked through all the photos and he just had the most horrific smile on his face. He was tense and straight and uh, almost like he looked scared in every photo. And I thought, well, he just doesn't know how to smile. And then about three <laughs> weeks um, into our life together, he was getting out of the shower and I walked in and toweled his hair, hair, hair off. And then when I put the towel back around him, this was what was looking up at me. And I said, well, I gotta grab a picture, I gotta grab a picture, because you know, I'm, I'm building a Shutterfly book every month you know, of his life because he had nothing before me. Mm -hmm. And I had to take this picture. And then after he got dressed, I said, where did that smile come from? And he said, nobody had ever helped me before. So just the simple act of toweling around his hair was new for him and brought out his smile, the Boone smile, yeah. that, that I hadn't seen and that maybe people hadn't seen for years. Yeah, and I remember you told me when we were talking, you said you felt like that was the first time you saw the real Boone. I did, it was, it was. Yeah. And he didn't allow me to show that photo for years, so <laughs> you all are very lucky. Now you see He's it. He's allowing it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I talked about James 127 and our, our caring for orphans. And the thing that I want to point out about that verse, the verse doesn't say to adopt orphans. It mm -hmm. says to care for orphans. And adopting and fostering is one way to care, but not everyone is called to bring a child into their home. Um, but everyone can do something. And so one of the things that we have started here at K2 are these care communities of people who come around and care for people who are fostering or adopting. Um, tell, kind of explain what are some of the things that if people wanted to be and do something like that, what are the, some of the things that you needed and, and still do? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, you know, this is certainly not the end of our story. You know, we are only three years and three months in, but we have happy most days and we have joy every day. But there were many days not even just in the beginning, like around month eight, month nine, month 18, like there were just days after I would get Boone to bed that I would be laying on the floor just sobbing into the carpet. It had been such a hard day and there was so much trauma that was being relived from his past. And it literally, at one point I emailed my small group and just said, I, I, I need you all just to cook for us this week. Just five days of me not having to cook. And then just having that week come and a casserole or something show up every day to an unbelievable amount of stress off of my shoulders to just not have to think of that one thing of what are we going to eat every single day um you know so that or you know gift cards because the kids don't come with a whole lot and you know when boone came poor guy you know i started shoving him full of vitamins and i was googling how many ounces of water he should drink a day based on his weight and you know your know, vitamins of, you know, on amazon like just gift cards to buy all kinds of stuff and you know, and, you know, at a baby shower, when a new arrival happens, they're, they're not even aware of all these gifts and people are showing up to love on them. 
And with Boone, he's aware. He knows when somebody shows up with a gift or a casserole. And one of my friends showed up and she, just, she grabbed him by the face. And she said, I didn't just bring chicken. I brought love. You know, and that really resonated with him because he's never been told that before. So there's just so many ways. Now, babysitting, play dates, um, you know, can I mow the lawn? Can I wash the car? You know, whatever. Just anything helps. Yeah. Well, you guys are um, kind of starting now to share your story more often. And Boone, I know that um, it's not always easy sharing your story, um, but why are you why are you willing to do it i mean the main goal is to help get kids out of we have two goals here to get kids out of america and then the bigger goal is to get kids out of the world well close no, i mean, <laughs> I mean close. it's close or not so um in my lifetime we want no orphans in america and in boone's lifetime no orphans in the world and so that's how we created a ministry in july god led us on July 27th, 4.09 p.m., he called us into the ministry to share our story so that we can help these children yeah. and the families that need them because the kids aren't the only ones mm-hmm. who get something out of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys for being, thank you for thank sharing you. your story. Thank you for being here. These guys are gonna be out in the lobby after. Please go and say hi to them, talk to them, um, ask mm-hmm. questions about fostering. Um, just go ahead and connect with them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So there are so many ways to care. There really are. And we talked about this caring for families that are fostering. Um, And if that is something that you would be interested in, um, everyone has a card in their their bulletin and there's some different things to check off. And one of them is I wanna be a part of a care community. So if you feel like I'm somebody who could bring a meal once a month, um, I could mow a lawn, I have a skill you know, I, I could come over and fix things. Um, literally, every, every family has different needs, and so there's a place for everybody. It's something you can do with your family. You can cook a meal with your kids and talk about who this meal is going to be for and then, and then go take it to them. Um, and then there are, just, there are many other ways, too. You know, Cecil talked about the ven- end of the video that, you know, these kids have the potential to change the world, but someone's got to change their world first. And there's so many ways to do that without bringing a kiddo into your home. We work with Royal Family Kids Camp, which is a camp every summer for kids who are in foster care. Come next summer and work at that camp and be a part of that. There's a mentoring program here that we partner with also that um, you can be a mentor for a child who's aging out of foster care. So these kids who are in foster care and parental rights are terminated and they don't get adopted, they age out at 18 and they have nobody. And so you could be somebody who says, I'm just going to come alongside of you and help you learn simple things like how to open a checking account, you know, how to, how to do finances, have you over for dinner, teach you, you know, some cooking skills. It's not that hard. It's, re- it's, not, it's really not doing anything extra. It's just inviting them into your life to kind of see um, and learn. And so if you would be interested in finding out about some of those other ways, 
Um, there's also a box that you can check. We're going to be meeting next Sunday. So after both of the services, um, we are going to be meeting and you can come. It's going to be short, 20 minutes, and hear more about these opportunities. So if that's something you're interested, go ahead and please check that box. And then if you are interested in fostering or adopting, there's a box for you to check there also. And um, one of the things that's really always been strong on my heart um, is that the point of foster care, or the hope in foster care is when children are removed that they're going to get to go back home. And it happens the majority of the time, but in the times that it doesn't, that's when adoption um, becomes possible. But for those majority of those kids who were, and you know, Boone was in these 10 different foster homes, and he said some were good, you know, some not so good. I, it's just such a strong thing on my heart that we need people here at K2 who just want to be a good home for a child in hopes that they're going to get to go back home. That it's a ministry of yours, that it's missional foster care. We just want to be a great family and come alongside this kiddo and maybe get a chance to come alongside their biological parents and help them become better parents to reunite them. Because that's the reconciliation. And that's what Jesus did with us too, right? He reconciled him to himself. So go ahead, um, whatever you're interested in, check that off. You can drop that card um, in the, the little offering boxes um, that are up and then in the back. Um, and then one last thing, just kind of to close out the service and band, you guys can go ahead and come up. Um, in your program, you also should have a card um, if you want to look in there. And it actually is a little card and it has a picture of a child here in Utah that is legally available for adoption. So parental rights have been terminated and they're looking, they're looking for a family. And I'm not going to ask you to adopt that kid that's on your card. <laughs> so you're going to pick them up on the way out, actually. No. Um, but I just want to ask you, would you commit to praying for that child that they would find a home? Would you stick it on your refrigerator and every time you look at it, pray for that or take it. If you have kids of your own, take that every night when you're doing your prayers and pray for that child by name. You may be the only person in the world that's praying for that child. In fact, you probably are. And so as we move into some time of musical worship, um, I just thought it'd be great too if we just take first minute and just sit quietly and look at that face and pray. And if you, you don't have a card, maybe lean over to the person um, that's next to you and look at, look at the face and the name. And, and if that's not possible, just pray for the kids. There's probably, it changes all the time, but probably 350 kids in our state of Utah that need a home. Make that as an act of your worship today. And also, I just really quickly want to share, if, you, if you're sitting here today and you do not know those two types of love that I talked about, this rescuing love and um, this love that made us sons and daughters, if you've never known that kind of love and there's something stirring in you, don't leave today without talking to somebody about that. Maybe it's somebody that you came with. Maybe you're here by yourself. We have, a, we have a prayer team that's always down over here. Um, after the service, come over and take one step closer of learning about 
this really the greatest news um, that there is on earth, that we have been rescued and that we've been adopted as sons and daughters.